0: It's hard not to love that guy. He's uh, he's very straightforward, very honest, very raw. And uh, if you guys know me, that's that's kind of my style. And he's back there preaching, I believe, again, this this service back at the youth room. And so he can't be out here with us. But one of the things I just need you to kind of take away is that so many of us wonder what would be like to get away, what would be like to chase after things? And he did. And he didn't find all his answers running. He found his answers um, where he got a chance to look around and make it his own. And now it was time to come home. And now it was time to try to figure out what home means. And just because you become a Christian and you get locked in your faith doesn't mean all those answers, all those questions are answered. He still has a lot of questions, I think, inside his soul. But he's able to touch base with us and say, this is where I'm at right now. This is he there's never been a question about his love for the Lord. And as long as I've known him, I've never questioned that. Um, All the other details, I think, is what he's trying to sort out a lot. But I don't question the man's heart. The man is good and he's a great guy and he loves the Lord a lot. I just wanted to thank him again for opening up his life to us. You want to grab your Bibles and take those Bibles out and we'll get started. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we want to bring one right to where you are. Grace and Mario are willing to bring one to where you're at. I'll give you the page number and that makes it pretty easy. So don't put your hand down until they get to you with one of these Bibles. Um, Also, take out the handout sheet that is in your bulletin and we can begin. It kind of gives you an outline on one side and some notes to take home and study um, at another time on the back. But you will notice that tonight is part 10 of 10. So we're wrapping up the book of Proverbs this evening. Hopefully you've been able to be with us for all 10 parts. If not, make sure to request a free CD of whatever part that you missed. Um, And I entitled tonight's lesson, Children of God, about wise and godly character. And I want to begin with a quote there on the top of your sheet by Wayne Schmidt. If you could take a look at that with me. Uh, Before I begin with that quote, I want to give you a, a real quick disclaimer. Two-thirds of tonight's message is all intro, okay? So if you're trying to follow my outline and you're going, man, I'm never going to get out of here. This guy won't get off the intro. Two-thirds of the whole message is intro. So the one-third we're going to be hauling through at the end. That is what I deemed the lesson on your little notes, okay? So ignore that for a moment and just realize I'm going to be laying down a foundation as we step out of this series. But I would say that as far as content, The heart of what we're going to address this evening, I would venture to say that it's probably the most important out of all 10 parts. And so I would hope that you lock some of this stuff into your spirit before you before you take off. So we begin with this quote by Wayne Schmidt. He said this, the most important qualities of life, meaning a life of integrity, a strong work ethic, treating people with dignity. And indeed, that's what we've studied the last few weeks. Arise out of the changeless core that is constantly re-energized in the presence of God. Where does true life change come from? It comes from God. It comes from time with God. It comes from a heart with God. And that is the essence of what I'm going to try to talk about tonight. So I want to begin by laying down a foundation of the difference between worldly wisdom And godly wisdom. Now I'm not going to use the word worldly in a negative sense. I just want you to understand the difference between the two. We got worldly wisdom. We got godly wisdom. So what is wisdom? Well, I went through and did this massive research on this concept of wisdom. What is it? Could you define it? If I asked you and gave you a piece of paper and said, what's wisdom? What would you say? It's kind of hard to define. It's kind of an elusive term. Well, I found a couple things. Here's a couple of things that I found that people described it as. They said things like knowing the best way to do things. Is that what wisdom is? Is it knowing the best way to do things? The other one was knowing the right thing to do and acting on it. Is that wisdom? It's a pretty good definition. Or is it knowledge and the capacity to judge rightly? Is that what wisdom is? These are pretty good definitions. However... I realize that your definition of wisdom depends on where you start. What's your premise? For example, you can't use words like best, good, right, without defining those terms, right? Because what may be best for you or what's right in your worldview may be drastically different than Scripture. So it all depends on what you mean by that. If it means doing right things, what does that mean? Right? Right. So we all got to go back and say, I think everything has to do with the premise on which you start. And indeed, that is the difference between worldly and godly wisdom. So let's examine this for a second. We begin with worldly wisdom. What is worldly wisdom? It's insight into how the world works. We all get on that one insight on how the world works. Is that useful? Better believe it's useful. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I want to know how the world works. Otherwise, I just feel stupid. I always make up the same mistakes. I want to know worldly wisdom. I think it sounds fantastic. Now, however, how is it going to take you anywhere unless you know where you want to start? Here's the foundational premise of worldly wisdom. Understanding our world. That's great, except for it ends with our closed system. Y'all understand what I'm saying? When I say closed system, I'm saying our universe or all that is within what God has created. If you want to know how that stuff works, that's great. But you can't figure out anything outside of it. You're not asking that question. You're only asking what's inside. And that's the limitation of worldly wisdom. It's examined in observation. And it's made concrete in school. It's achieved in higher learning and it's natural emotion that's emitted is pride. Because once you know how the world works, that gives you power. Eventually, that power has an impact on you and you would go, I'm bigger and badder than everybody else. And it begins to elicit pride. Here's a couple sample wisdom statements. Now, you tell me, are these helpful or not? Okay. now, some of them are funny, but wise. And one of them comes from Aesop. Have you guys ever heard of that guy? You guys Aesop's fables, the whole thing. This is what he had to say. He said, good judgment comes from experience and experience. Well, that comes from poor judgment. Okay. (laughs) so kind of funny. Right. But yet totally true. Okay. Or it could be a comment on mankind. Aristotle said all men by nature desire to know. Is that true? I think it's pretty darn true. I mean, I think all people desire to know there's a heart within us that wants that. That's really smart. Aristotle is kind of a smart guy. I don't know if you heard that. Then there's a Native American saying from a totally different culture that's very wise. You've heard this before. Tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I may not remember, but involve me and I'll understand. Okay, is that wise? That's pretty wise. I mean, if you're trying to guide someone to change, that's probably a smart idea. Okay, what about change? A Chinese proverb said this, give a person a fish and you feed him for a day. You guys all know the rest of it. Teach a man to fish and he will eat for a lifetime. Okay, is that wise? It's pretty wise. Okay, What about Mahatma Gandhi? Be the change you want to see in the world. Is that wise? Yeah, you always have to let it begin with you, right? If you want it to change, you've got to start with you. These are all very useful sayings. Heraclitus said this, you cannot step into the same river twice for other waters are continually flowing on. In other words, every situation you engage with is a bit different than the last one, right? Even if you think you're going into the same arena, things have changed since last time you were there. Okay, this is worldly wisdom. The point is, how does our world work? And can you help me out a little bit? That's really what worldly wisdom is. It's not a bad thing. It's just limited. You understand what I'm saying? So what is godly wisdom? Well, let's contrast the two. Godly wisdom begins on the foundational premise of what is God like. And you understand that God's outside of our system. He allegedly created our closed system. Therefore, he's other than. Now you're asking a different question. You're not asking, how does our world only work? You're asking, how does the creator in reality outside of that work? Then I begin to answer questions like, what is my value? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? Do you understand the difference between those two things? Now, the, it's made concrete, meaning you can see an example of it in a person called Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how it works out, you look at Jesus. And it's achieved not in schools, but at the foot of the cross. It's a very different learning area. You understand what I'm saying? Whereas in the Greeks used to have high levels of higher learning in schools and they would basically say, come up with me and we will all stand on the shoulders of all the brilliant men of the world and we will be even more brilliant. And Jesus completely flip flopped that took a little child and pulled him in front of all the Pharisees. And he said, unless you become like this little child, we haven't yet begun. Do you understand? It's a very, very different way of looking at the world. And finally, the natural emotion that's elicited in godly wisdom is a profound sense of humility and an extraordinary gratitude. So here's my point. My point is they start from different places. They end in vastly different places and they're asking different questions. You go, well, which one do I want? You want them both. However, one's more important than the other. And that's what we have to get right We have to put the right thing in the forefront and then build from there. Otherwise, we've missed everything. What is an example of godly wisdom? Well, the Bible and Paul addresses this issue very specifically. And would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's page 807 in the Bibles that were handed to you. 807. That should make it very easy for you to find it. It's in the New Testament. You're going to go all the way to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. And by the way, my voice is cracking. I don't know why, but I've passed puberty a long time ago. It's just still bugging me. My voice is going out. <clears throat> First Corinthians one twenty. I already did a speaking engagement this morning, so maybe my voice is going. Page 807. Paul, in addressing the church in Corinth, spoke about wisdom this way. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, meaning it doesn't answer the real question for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't even know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That is a stumbling block to the Jews and mere foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, meaning leaders, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may brag or boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, And redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. This is let's get very practical with this. There are two elements that must be married to wisdom for it to make any difference. Two vital elements that cannot be missed or wisdom is useless. Those two elements are love and godliness. If wisdom is divorced from either, you've wasted your time. You say, Lance, you just spent nine weeks on gaining wisdom. And now the last week you're thinking it doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. You just got to get it in the right priority. And it cannot be used outside of love and godliness. Let me tell you what I mean. I mean this. Wisdom without love is just irritating. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many people have you met where they know it all, but there is no love flowing from them? And all they are is like grinding. Right? Every time you hear them, you're like, shut up. You're killing me. Your mouth's moving, and I'm hurting. That's all I know. I don't care how brilliant you are. I just wish you would go away. Okay. That is wisdom. Without love. It's like an engine running without oil. What happens to an engine that runs without oil? It will eventually start smoking. The uh, the um, it will begin to build up as far as tension goes and ultimately seize. Right. Isn't that what an engine's going to do? Well, in the same way, wisdom will begin fine for a while, but a very short while. And without oil, it will heat up, burn itself out and seize up and it will do more damage than had you never started wisdom without love is irritating. How do we know this? Well, we're already in the book, so why don't you turn a couple more chapters to the right? First Corinthians 13. Paul's really clear on this stuff. It's page 813. First Corinthians 13, verse one. It's a famous love chapter. We just need to understand a few things. About how love is crucial to Christianity. Here goes Paul being very honest. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What's that? Irritating. We all good on that? If I have the gift of prophecy and can what? Quote, fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor. If I become a martyr by surrendering my body to the flames, but have not love, I have gained nothing. The Bible is very clear that if there's not love attached to your wisdom, you're done. You might as well not even try because that's just absurdity. Everyone will hate you. okay? because you're going to walk around talking about all that, you know, but nobody cares. Because you don't care. Right. Isn't that true? Well. The other vital element is godliness. Now, when I say godliness, what I mean is adhering to God with all your heart. That's what I mean. I mean, having faith, trust, love for God. So when you hear me use the word godliness, that's what I mean. You go, well, Lance, what does that have to do with it? Well, it has an awful lot to do with it. What is the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom? Either the absence or presence of God. Okay, it's right there in the title. We all good on that one? Okay, that's the difference between the two. So how do we know that it doesn't matter if you're the most brilliant man in the world, but you don't stay close to God? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because the author of the whole book that we've been studying for 10 weeks completely blew it at the end and his whole life meant nothing. Hey, why don't we pick up that story? Go back into the left in your Bibles. First Kings chapter 10. Verse 23. It's page 246 in the Bible's handed to you. 246. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23. Remember, we're studying a 3,000 year old document that by and large is written by the wisest man who ever lived, a man by the name of Solomon. His dad's name was David. David was considered the apple of God's eye. Who was smarter, Solomon or David? Solomon. Absolutely. He was smarter from all testing purposes, from all life example or experience purposes. He's always the brilliant one. Yet who finished well? David. Every time David was far more of the everyman, far more of the simple man, far more of the guy that made mistakes. He was passionate. He walked through life and sometimes he was a hero and sometimes he was a villain. Yet he ended well and his son, the most brilliant man ever, ended poorly. If you do not adhere your heart to God, what's the point in any of it? We pick up the story in chapter 10, verse 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. So who put it in his heart? God. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, mules, blah, blah, blah. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, now you guys see the change there? The however is kind of important. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon. OK, you guys beginning to pick up on the pattern here. In other words, God was pretty clear on his directives. But just because you're brilliant doesn't mean you're obedient. We all following that one. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. We all start to see that same pattern. David contrasted with Solomon. We pick it up in verse nine. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him. What twice? In other words, he even had all revelation. God himself appeared to him twice. Meaning I don't care what revelation you got. If your heart's bad, your heart's bad. He appeared to him twice, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods. Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, since you have not kept my covenant, and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your dad, I will not do it during your lifetime. I'll tear it out of your hand of your son. That's something to pray about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes as we continue to drink in the wisdom of Proverbs. But may we be different men and women that engage with it than walked in this room. May we be men and women of character and integrity. That it would all matter. And I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate scripture for that which is necessary is only spiritually discerned. We're never going to get it without you. Open our eyes. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. As simply as I can say it. Wisdom without God and love is ultimately futile. Wisdom without God and love is ultimately futile. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. It's page 452 in the Bible handed to you. 452 Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 Begins our trek as to how we're going to make sure that we end well. Because here's the deal. If the brilliant guy didn't cut it, how in the world are we going to cut it? If the smartest man ever couldn't do it, what is there any hope for us ending well? Well, I think there's a tremendous amount of hope. And what's so funny is the way that we may well stay on the path Is to follow the advice from the guy that fell off. Now, as ironic as it is, the best wisdom for staying in the game comes from the guy that didn't. Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty three above all else, Solomon said, what guard your heart. Is that what he did? Nope. Do as I say now as I do (laughs) above all else. Guard your heart. Why? For it is the wellspring of your life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. In six small verses, there's nine commands of action. Meaning you need to figure out what you want to do and get it done. Stop waiting for something dramatic to happen and you do something dramatic. In other words, if you don't want to swerve off the path, don't swerve off the path. Quit sitting back like a, a wimpy little person and keep going, I sure hope I don't sin today. I sure hope I don't sin today. Don't sin today. In other words, put some effort into it, fix it, and make sure that you're not in areas of temptation. And in other words, his point is, you've got to put a little effort into it. You've got to determine You've got to choose this day what? Whom you will serve. He said you must determine that your heart will not go astray. You do not leave it up to chance. You do not leave it up to someone else. You take control of that and you determine that you will not stray. That way, at the end of your life, you can say, I have given my all, Lord, to what you want me to do. The places where I have fallen are largely Lord, because I'm a broken human being. I've done my best. I've ran the race. I fought the good fight and I leave all the rest into your hands. That is the death prayer of a believer. Can we do that? Well, I believe that there are four elements of integrity. That Solomon and his group give us the first of which we began in Proverbs 16, verse two. The first issue is that motives matter. You hear what I'm saying? Motives matter. It's not just about your actions. Actions are important, but it's deeper than that. It's about your thought life. It's about your heart intent. Your motives matter. You may do good things, but why? That's the question you may. Give to the Salvation Army during the hurricane issue. But why? Why would you do it? Because if your motive was other than I love God, I love people, period, then we probably have a bad motive. If your motive was, gosh, I'm kind of feeling kind of like a loser. And if I do this, I'll feel better about myself. If that's your indicator, that's a bad reason. Motives matter. Proverbs sixteen two. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. But motives are weighed by the Lord. Okay, we have an incredible capacity as human beings to justify everything. Okay. Have you harnessed this power yet? <laughs> I'm really good at it. (laughs) Okay? If you guys need a little help on that, I'll help you out. (laughs) Alright? I'll give you little ways to mess with your own mind and feel better about yourself. You guys have heard the the funny quote that says, a clear conscience is usually just a bad memory. (laughs) Right? You know, you're like, hey, I'm totally fine. They're like, well, didn't you just, oh, I forgot. Okay. The point is, you probably don't have a clear conscience. You probably just have a bad memory. That's the only thing. Okay. Here's the deal. All of our ways seem innocent to us. That's why we do them. But who ultimately is the judge? Christ. It's not us. He judges the motives. All right. Remember, Pharisees. You guys all know who I'm talking about, right? The religious crazy guys, the hardcore guys of the New Testament that Jesus seemed to really have a hard time with. The guys that thought they were all that. They were pompous and arrogant. You know what? They did more Christian stuff than you and I will ever do. You understand what I'm saying? They had their lives nailed down. They followed the Ten Commandments in the most hardcore way. They went out of their way to do everything perfect, yet they were the furthest from Jesus. Okay, so what's the problem here? Motives matter. Second verse is found in Proverbs 20, verse 27. We must be honest about our situation. The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his inmost being. You guys have heard the definition of integrity or an explanation being this. Who you are in secret that you are. You guys have heard that, right? That's a pretty popular one. Okay. Why? Well, let's examine why Solomon did the things that he did. Why didn't anyone steer him away from it? Have you guys? I mean, have we thought about this? Why didn't someone turn Solomon from his sin? Here's my guess, because he's king and you're not. So you don't really have a right to tell him what to do, right? Who's going to walk up to a king and tell him what's what other than Nathan, who did it to David? Right. Unless you got a prophet of God, nobody's saying anything. So Solomon goes on being king and in the silence of the people around him, he just continues to go on justifying his actions. Well, guess what? In your mind and in the secret place of your heart, guess what? You are king. Because no one knows, no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to keep you on the right path. It's all you. So who you are there in that kingdom is who you really are, because most of the time we keep you in line on the outside. We pressure you. The laws of the land legislate your morality. And all the way around, we keep pressures to make you look good on the outside. But where you're king, that you'll find your true spirit. And so we have a wonderful ability to live a double life. You also understand what I'm talking about? That, I believe, is the difficulty. So the first issue of integrity is understanding that motives matter and it's all open to God. The second element is the issue of wholeness. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 20, verse 11, Proverbs 20, verse 11. The first way I want to describe this is the term holistic. It means all the way through, all the way around every element of Proverbs 20, 11. Even a child is known by his actions, whether his conduct is pure and right. In other words, all you have to do is watch a kid to see whether he's a good kid or a bad kid. Well, guess what? Little kids just grow up to be big kids. In other words, if you keep saying, I love God, I love God, I love God, and all the fruit of your life is garbage. Sorry, something's amiss. Something's not matching. We do not have wholeness. We do not have holistic because what you have is you're playing a game in your heart or you're somewhere else. But in your mind, you're consistently saying, no, 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 I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Well, all bad guys still feel like they're good guys to some degree. So we need to understand it's all of us. The second element is the issue of authenticity. Proverbs 12, 9. Would you turn with me there? The idea of being genuine and authentic. Proverbs 12, 9. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. At some point, you need to match up. At some point, you need to be authentic and just go... Hey, everybody, how are you? I'm a nobody. Okay, at some point, you have to be honest about your condition that you're a broken individual instead of constantly playing the arrogance game. I'm big and bad. I know everything about Christianity. Look at me. I'm the answer man. I fix everything. Okay, that guy is not going to have any friends. You understand what I'm saying? Because everyone's looking at you going, wow, you're kind of irritating. Okay, you can't be that guy. You have to be honest with where you're at. Otherwise, there's going to be no growth. The third element of integrity or wholeness is the issue of being self-aware. Proverbs 20, verse nine. Paul calls this sober judgment of oneself. In other words, you're not hammered. You're pretty clear on who you are. That's really what it means. Sober judgment. Proverbs 20, verse nine. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure. I'm clean and without sin. That's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to it? Nobody. Nobody. Well, once again, part of being a man or a woman of integrity is realizing you're a sinner. And until heaven, you're going to be nothing practically but a sinner. However, in Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross, you are pure in God's sight. But you've got to keep those understandings clear in your head. Otherwise, you start pretending like you are sinless. And then you just become mean. You understand what I'm saying? So we pick up the last element of wholeness and I call it honesty before God. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. I thought this was fascinating because it sounded awfully New Testament. Uh, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Check this one out. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You want to be a man or a woman of integrity? Learn what the issue of confession means, both to God and to man. Do a study on that. You want to be whole? Keep a short list with God. In other words, if you can lock in your mind that God knows everything, then it's a little easier to open up your hand and show what you did, right? And that's what you do when you do something bad. You go back to dad and you go, look what I did. Okay. Because here's what happens when little toddlers get in the cookie jar and they're not supposed to, they say things like, Why'd you do that? I just told you not to get the cookie. And they go, I don't know. You're like, Well, clearly you know something because I told you no and you went and go get the cookie. I don't know. You're like, No, you do know. Okay, do you understand? That's most Christians that I deal with. Okay, we're all sitting together and and they go, Man, I really did this horrible thing. And I go, Why'd you do that? I don't know. I go, well, at some point you got to you got to know why you did it. I don't know. And I know you do know. Stop playing games. Oh, no. OK. At some point, we've got to grow up and go, hey, look at that. I made this choice and that happened. How weird. There's cause and effect in this universe. OK, so our point is we have to be honest with ourselves. And when we see the cause and effect, you go back to that cause and you go, Lord, I did a bad thing. And you hold it out for him to look at. You go, but that's embarrassing. What's your other option? Oh, oh, I see. You can live behind a mask. OK, real quick. Our women's ministry went through a book called True Face. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read this. Part of True Face talks about the danger of wearing masks. The danger of masks. One of the dangers is you'll never feel loved. You go, what are you talking about? Because when you put on a mask, everyone has only been able to engage with your front So you're afraid to take it off because what if they don't like you? Well, they've never got to engage with that person, so you're going to live in fear and you'll keep their mask on. But all the love that you receive is not the real you. And you know that all the friends that you have, they're only your friends because they've been engaging with your mask. So you live your life behind the mask, shriveling up and dying unloved. That's the danger of a mask. Is that what you want? Or must we be men and women of integrity that are honest about our sin, confess our sin before God and man. We pick up the third major element. Not only do motives matter, not only do we need to be whole, but we need to follow righteousness and make good decisions. Proverbs 13, 16. If you could turn with me there. Proverbs 13, 16. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. In other words, as practical as you can get, if you know the right decision, Do that one. It's not any more complicated than that, right? It's kind of like, I have two paths before me, right? And everyone gets all dramatic. You're like, well, where's that one go? To hell. You're like, okay, (laughs) well, where's that one go? To heaven. They're all dramatic. You're like, well, which one are you going to take? Okay, they're like, I don't know. You're like, what? What do you mean you don't know? It's pretty darn clear. All right. Anyway, moving on. Here we go. (laughs) I got a little wrapped up in that. Proverbs 21, verse 3. 21, 3. The second major element of making good decisions is having proper priorities. Proverbs 21, 3. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Okay. But sacrifice looks cool. You guys know what I'm saying? Okay. Here's what drives me crazy. There's a group of Christians and denomination... Christians and huge amounts of people in the world that have this great idea that they're going to go out and conquer the world right when they get saved. And they run around screaming at everyone about how everyone else is going to hell and they're all horrible. And then two weeks later, they're not a Christian anymore. And you're like, what? What, what are you talking about? They get saved and they go ballistic on everybody. Oh, my gosh, I've seen the light. And you're, going and you're going to hell and you're going to hell and you're going to hell and you're going to hell. And then later on, they're like, I'm not into that anymore. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, because they've been taught somehow that all this sacrifice, I got to be a geek for God. I got to go out and be an idiot. Oh, I got to run around and be crazy and stupid and tell everyone about Jesus without thinking about the fact that they think I'm a moron and an idiot and stupid. Okay, the point is, how about slowing it down a little bit and doing the right things like laying a foundation in your faith? What about doing the right things about figuring out whether you love Jesus before you open your mouth? What about not going so extreme on the sacrifice if you'll just do what's right? See, I got a bunch of folks that are really loud and obnoxious about how they're sacrificing for God. And meanwhile, their inner life is garbage because they can't even do the basics of what's right. Do you understand how the priorities are out of whack? You may look super godly by sacrifice. You may look cool by doing extreme things for God. But you know what God would love you to do? Slow down for a second and make sure you love him. That'd be fantastic. You see, we're so gung ho and we run ahead of where Jesus is leading. And we're all over the map and God says, can you mellow out for a second? Can we can we touch base here for a second? Hey, look, you're horrible to your wife. Can we figure that one out first before you start running out and telling everyone about how great I am? I know I'm great. However, you keep shooting your own message. Oh, super. You led someone else to Christ. Well, that, that's terrific, except for you steal constantly. Can okay, you understand that the minute everyone ties those two in, now they've had a crisis of faith because they don't know about their foundation because you just messed it up. Okay, great. I appreciate you being on the homeless feeding team and doing all the uh, amazing outreach. However, you do understand that you're treating women like garbage and you're running around sleeping with them all. Do you understand? That kind of ruins it. Okay, here's my point. This is real life stuff. And God says, you know what I'd rather you do? Is square up your life before you start running off and getting crazy for me. That'd be fantastic. All right, we pick up the next one. The third of the issue of righteousness. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-six. says this like a muddied spring or polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. Here's the issue. Sometimes you just have to do the hard thing and resist evil. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But that's what people of integrity do. You understand when I'm not doing it, that means that my integrity is tarnished. That's that's what you need to realize. Sometimes, you know, it's evil and you've signed on anyway. And that, that ruins our integrity. That's all we need to understand. The last one, as we close out, is this the issue of purity. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 21, 8? Proverbs 21, 8. We're going to talk about integrity. We're going to talk about motives. We're going to talk about wholeness. We're going to talk about making good decisions. We're going to talk about purity. Proverbs 21, 8 The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. Real quick side note on that. Some of you. Some of you were raised in a very impure environment. It's like you were slimed from birth. You grew up in a household where all there was was drugs around you. All there was was uh, horrible life around you. Your parents were really messed up up, and, and it's really led you on a bad path and your innocence is lost. You didn't get to choose that. You understand? That's not your fault. We'll talk about you in a moment. But for the rest of us, a lot of us chose to walk down a path because we wanted to know for ourselves what it was like. Okay? It's this idea of, it's the cry of every parent. When your child starts growing up, they start walking the wrong path. And what do you say to them? Don't go that road. And they go, why? What do you know? And what do you say? Because I went down that road and guess what happened? Well, I'm going to go find out for myself. Why? Because I don't trust you. I don't believe you. What do you mean you don't trust me or believe me? What do I have in it? Why would I possibly want to tell you not to do it unless it was good for you? doesn't matter. I've got to figure it out for myself. Okay, do you understand this has been happening since the Garden of Eden? It's the same problem. God's holding out on me. I can't believe I don't know everything. I've got to know it for myself. Let me go figure it out for me. God, let me eat the fruit. Right? Isn't that how it goes? And God goes, really, you don't want to know. No, really, we do. Why? Because we don't know right now. So there, we're going to now know. And he's like, OK, that's dumb, because if you know, it's not going to solve anything. Well, I guess we'll be the judge of that. Give me the fruit. OK, that's what, what ended up happening. And then they knew. And what happened? Oh, my gosh, I'm naked. I'm freaked out. You remember how, what happened? And then he's like, now, you know, now, are you all better? Does that, that help out? Oh, look, now you're spiraling into chaos. Okay, some things you don't want to know. Okay, here's my point. There is peace many times in innocence. For example, I've never been in the drug industry. I've never been around drugs. I've never taken drugs. I've never bought and sold drugs. I've never been around drugs. So if I walked into a party and everybody laid out Coke in front of me, I have no draw. I don't care. And I would just kind of go, not me. Bye bye. And I walk away. But there's other sins in my life that I've engaged with to such a degree that even if someone put a fake element of it on the table, I would consume it before it hit the table. In other words, there's some freedom to innocence. And I think that's what God longs for his children. I think that's what he longed for Adam and Eve of going, hey, guys, not knowing this stuff actually will probably be your biggest blessing. Let it alone. No, we got to know. Got to know. Got to know. Got to know. Are you sure? OK, here's what Christians are doing. Still, we keep looking over the fence at the world and go on, I wonder what that's like. wonder what that's like. wonder what that's like. wonder what that's like. And then we take of it. We feel horrible inside. And God goes, what was that like? And You go, oh, it tastes horrible. He's like, well, that's what I told you not to drink it. Oh, that's a good point. Good point. I might, I might listen to you next time. OK. At some point, we need to realize Maybe innocence is a useful path because right now it just seems like a bad path and we got to change our hearts on that one. Does that make sense? We close with this Proverbs twenty three ten. For those of you that were raised in a horrible environment, you didn't have the right to choose for yourself. At some point, you're going to grow up and you get to make a choice. When you get to make that choice, you must turn away from it. And turn away from deceit. You may not be able to fix your childhood, but today you can make a stand. Today you can make a difference. Proverbs 23.10. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Do you understand the temptation there? Nobody's around. That's how they set up property lines. So all you had to do, they were set up by rocks. So what do you do when no one's around you? Kick the rock. You go, oh, look, my property has got 10 feet bigger. <laughs> that was awesome. So you kick it again. Now you I get 20 feet. OK, the point is, when no one's around, you have a temptation to do something like that. And that's when the Bible says, what? Look at the next verse for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. You don't want God against you. When it's your choice, refuse evil and you can maintain your integrity. Listen. As we close, there's a famous Proverbs in 26:11 that says, "As a dog returns to his vomit, so does a fool to his folly." Okay. Here's the deal. It's my final challenge to you. Change up your sin. Okay. Here's what I mean. I mean, we are such creatures of habit. We just keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over and over. And honestly, in the minds of Solomon and in the eyes of God. Every time you return to that sin, it's the same picture as when your dog yacked and went and drank it again. And the dog kept going, I didn't even know I ate grass. That's so weird. Okay, here's the point. Every time you walk back to it, God's going, don't, don't, don't drink that. Don't. Oh, come on. We did this before. How'd it taste? Oh, it's horrible. Don't go back then. Okay, but we keep doing it. It didn't work last time, but we're going to try it again. It didn't fulfill last time, but we're going to try it again. And my point is, in our striving for integrity, if we continue to fall in the same hole over and over, we're not getting anywhere. I think that God's point of view, and it may be perhaps Paul's point of view, is that in maturity and growth, maybe we can move forward. As opposed to just spiraling in the same area. Maybe you can conquer that sin through the spiritual disciplines or through prayer or through whatever. Maybe you can conquer that sin and maybe try to break a new one. Okay. I mean, not meaning bad, meaning try to break through another sin and then advance. Because we get stuck in a pattern of going, I'm always going to struggle with it. I'm always going. And you know what? You might. But what if you didn't have to? Is there a way to move forward in integrity? I believe there is. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. And thank you, Lord, for warnings, for challenges, for refreshment. And I just ask, Lord, that these 10 weeks that we have been together, that we would lock wisdom of both the worldly sort in a healthy way and the godly sort at the forefront into our minds and hearts that we might be whole and pleasing to you. Make us your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? What good is it to make a sweet sound but remain proud? In your God's mercy, I offer my all, and take my life, let it be, everything all of me, here I am, use me for your glory, in everything I say and do, let my life